0: Hey, everybody. Today I have somebody from Down Under, Tyson Franklin, or Dr. Tyson Franklin. He is officially a physician. He's a podiatrist. I do not want to discount him. And he's known as Dr. T. He's actually in a podcast of his own called It's No Secret with Dr. T. And he runs a, another show called the 365 Hour Challenge. And that is a Facebook Live event he puts on. It's really cool. Short little show. He goes over podcasts, and since it's always about me, he covered my podcast, so that makes him automatically elevated in my book. Now, I met Tyson at Podcast Movement last month. It feels like it was last week. I shouldn't complain, though, because Tyson's traveled the world over still since then and ran his own convention. He is a very peripatetic, dynamic person who likes to open podiatrist clinics and then turn them over and sell them. Whereas some people use houses, he flips clinics.
1: How are you doing today, Tyson? Oh, I am fantastic, Eric. That, that was a great introduction. I sound so good. <laughs> well, you're just wonderful material, oh, modeling clay. And I'm going, well, I can't wait to hear what he's going to say.
0: <laughs> now, one thing that I find crazy is um, I do some research into my guests. I yeah. think you know that. And oh, I, I listen to other appearances on other shows and – I came to find out that you've come a long way to being a podiatrist and now a business coach from working at a chicken plant.
1: Oh yeah. Do you- yeah so when I went through um, <laughs> when I went through university, I well it seems to be all my jobs involved killing something. Um, so <laughs> okay. When I was at high school, uh, I used to get a job during the holidays working at the meatworks, killing cattle, pigs, sheep. And nobody really wanted to do it. So it paid like two or three times more than you would get paid to mm. anything else. So I I wasn't prepared, I wasn't afraid of hard work, so I dove in there and did it. And then when I uh went through university, um I was still living down at the Gold Coast. So during holidays I would uh get a job at this chook farm, which was probably only about a mile up the road from where I lived. And uh yeah, I'd kill chickens. So <laughs> My whole way through high school and university, everything involved uh, some form of slaughter. Wow. But the money was. Now, good. that, <laughs> I, I, good to hear because that, that
0: is a unique <laughs> background. I, I think that's as far as I've gotten. But
1: um, do, are you still good with eating meat? Oh, yeah. No, I love chicken. So I used to, um, we also, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so I used to kill chickens, but then also used at nighttime work at a, like a chicken restaurant. Called uh, Red, okay. Red Rooster over here. We called Big Rooster when I was there. So I'd work there five nights a week and I'd eat a chicken every single night um, huh. during my shift. And then we'd get home on a Saturday night. My parents would say, What do you want for dinner? I go, oh, I wouldn't mind chicken. So I've, I've, always, um, I've always enjoyed it. I still eat meat. Yeah. Didn't turn me into a vegetarian.
0: That's awesome. So you literally dealt with the whole cycle.
1: Yes. From from
0: slider to uh, plate. Paddock to plate. <laughs> there you go. And I hate to say it, there's a tiny irony here in the uh, States. the largest chicken manufacturer
1: is Tyson. That's funny and what's what's my favorite my football team that I support my rugby league team is uh, the Sydney Roosters <laughs> <laughs> and they' and they're sponsored by Steggles, which is the one of the biggest chicken uh, manufacturing companies in Australia. So um, it's a, it's a full circle that it goes around.
0: That's cool. And I, I really appreciate, though, that you're – I wanted to bring it up because obviously you're willing to get down in the dirt and do work. And yeah. I find that many are afraid of work.
1: Well, what I found when I went through university and, yeah, it was – I went to I went to university with a lot of people that had a lot of money. And you mm-hmm. would turn up. And I remember leading up to school holidays, I remember there was one girl in particular, and she went – Oh, I can't believe it! Yeah, we, we're going to go to you know, Egypt again, you know, during the Christmas <laughs> holidays. And I went, "Oh, you poor bugger!" When, when you've seen one bit of sand, you've seen it all. She goes, "I oh, know, that's exactly what I told them." <laughs> she goes, "Where are you going over the uh, Christmas holidays, Tyson?" I said, "Oh, not not. It won't be that exotic. Um, probably, <laughs> probably more of a colder climate. Probably go somewhere it's a little bit colder because the truck farm used to be all refrigerated." Um, <laughs> I never told them what I did during my holiday break. So, so I went to school a lot. Yeah, I went to university with a lot of people who supposedly had wealthy backgrounds, and I used to be, oh, I used to be jealous. I sit there and go, oh, geez, I wish I wish I had their lifestyle. Wish I didn't have to work. But what I found out, it taught me that if you really want something in life, you gotta, you've got to do the work. And I look back now and I look at their families and the holidays they had and. In hindsight now, they were never as wealthy as what they made out. They had sure. they had nice homes, but they were better than where I lived, but you know, so in back then it looked like they were really wealthy, but I look back now, I go, well, actually they were just in a better suburb. They drove better cars, yes, they had better holidays, but they had huge mortgages, heaps of debt. And I look at the people that I went through university with who did podiatry and where we started and where we are now, and I killed them. So yeah, some of them are still just um just working normal jobs as podiatrists haven't really reached any uh, great heights and it's I think it's because a lot of stuff was all handed to them they never really had to work hard for anything and that's reflected in the work ethic later on and I'm not saying that just because someone's wealthy they don't know how to work that's not what I mean by it some do people some some know how to work really hard and that's how and a lot of it I think comes from the parents teaching them. yeah, you know, They became wealthy because they worked hard. So they've driven that into their kids as well.
0: Yeah, it's hard to know. I I can relate to you a little bit on that because uh, when I grew up, I raised goats and I had to milk goats uh, twice a day. And I don't know if you know, but they are on a farm. They lay in hay, things like that. So when you're milking them, you kind of get a little bit of a, a farmy smell. <laughs> and I was in the richest school in town. And believe me, I didn't like being a goat smelling boy so i I do kind of really so to speak yeah yeah
1: Yeah. so i can relate yeah it and it was and sometimes you know what i found is people it doesn't matter where you're from what your background is some people work hard some people are, are taught to work hard some people it's just in their dna to work hard some people are nice regardless of the background some people are nasty whether they come from a poor background or they come from a wealthy background there's just uh, I don't think money determines what people are. I think it's uh, it's their attitude, their upbringing, and and whether they're driven or not. Like I was, I was always driven to have more. So I remember my parents asked me when I was twelve, yeah, Tyson, what are you going to do when you grow up? So I'm going to be a millionaire.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, and and they went, oh, okay, well, your parents, yeah, we're not. What makes you think you can? And I went, because I'm smarter than you guys. <laughs> <laughs> so. It was. I was always driven that I I knew I wanted to have more than what we had.
0: You're bearing the lead. There's a second half to that story. I've heard it. Yeah, and I
1: was prepared to put the work in.
0: (laughs) I want the second half of that story about being a millionaire by the time you were 30. What happened when you were 30?
1: Uh, Yeah, so I said to my parents, I'll be a millionaire by the time. I said, I was going to try to bypass that one. Um, (laughs) But I have brought it up in another podcast. You have done your research, haven't you? So... (laughs) So I said to my parents, yeah, by the time I'm 30, I'm going to be retired and a millionaire. Anyway, so at 30, I was uh, divorced, two kids, and bankrupt. (laughs) So I'm feeling like crap. And by then, my dad had passed away. So I'm feeling feeling horrible. So I said, I'm going to go home for the weekend. Went home for the weekend. Mum was there. I thought, yeah, mum will make me feel better. And mum goes, oh, I've got something for your birthday. And I went, seriously? I'm thinking, mum never buys me anything for my birthday. And she hands me an envelope. And I went, oh, what's this? So I opened it up, and it was. So, what my parents made me do when I was twelve, they made me write a letter to them, say, "Oh, I'm Tyson Franklin. By the time I'm thirty years of age, I'll be retired and a millionaire." So that's what I got given on my thirtieth birthday from my mum, and then she said to me, "So, how close are you?" <laughs> <laughs> and I remember screwing it up and throwing it away, just in anger. But it was like the kick in the guts I needed to realize, yeah. Where am I? I'm not doing what. What happened to all those dreams and aspirations when I was a twelve year old? Where, where did I go wrong? And I could look back, and you could blame, oh, I married the wrong person," or, "Yeah, you know, I had a mm-hmm. had a problem with my hands and had to stop working for a while." But it was it was all my own decisions. They were all my own decisions, my own choices. So, yeah, you know, I stuffed up. But mm-hmm. yeah, you know, about five years later, I turned everything around. <laughs> so, it was- so it was a gift. It really was a gift. It was not Yeah, but someone said to me, I bet your mum. maybe your mum gave that to you to um, inspire you. I said, no, no. She gave it to me to kick me in the guts. It was. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever works, right? She loves me, but she also loves, um, yeah, <laughs> sticking it to me too sometimes.
0: Was that an Aussie thing? Because, I mean, you guys have better humor than us, or it's perceived that way here.
1: Uh, I think we're. We're thick skinned, but we do actually like taking the piss out of each other. So um, mm-hmm. which is a good thing. Uh, yeah, a lot of your friends, you will um know yeah, when they're down, you'll like um, you know, one of my sayings is, know, yeah, well, it could be worse, it could happen to me. So <laughs> So they could have a business and they've gone broke and go, Oh, it could be worse, could happen to me. Yeah, the wife will go, Oh, it could have been worse, could happen to me. So, um, <laughs> or I could be with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so we, we do tend to laugh at other people's misfortune, but we do it in a way that no, everyone knows you're not you're not trying to be mean. You're just trying to make make the situation a little bit more lighthearted. So, okay. so it just yeah, it just cheers people up.
0: Well, <laughs> and you also don't you don't care for egos that much. It kind of keeps people with a group rather than not get anybody's head getting too big for themselves.
1: Yeah, they, they do have a problem in Australia, one thing they call tall poppy syndrome, where is if somebody uh, there we go. Yeah, if somebody really starts to stand out, um Australians are really fast to sort of chop them down and bring and try and bring them mm-hmm. back down a level, whereas I think Americans are far better at embracing success and celebrating it. I will say that it depends. If you know
0: your place, yeah. <laughs> that's cool. But if you let them, Americans will not only let you be a tall poppy, but they will take you to the top of the building on their shoulders. And then when they tire of you, throw you off. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Australians, so Australians it, will chop you down at the knees just before, just before you. Right. <laughs> it's, it's not quite as bad. But um, if you look at it, Americans, when we turn, we like to smash them to nothing. Then we might rebuild them. So it's a, it's a weird
1: thing. Yeah, then you make a- Because we also like redemption. He never really got knocked down. Yeah. <laughs> Not in his head. <laughs> but, yeah, and I think the culture is a little bit different. You know, there's you know, Australians are, are, are patriotic in a, in a different way to Americans are patriotic. Um. Yeah. So, like, for example. It's Americas. Yeah, what I've seen, if all of a sudden the national anthem started playing, a lot of Americans would stand up, put their hand on the heart, and start singing the, the national anthem. Some, sure. Australians, if the national anthem started playing, everyone would go, bloody hell, who put that on? Hang on, I'm trying to <laughs> bloody watch your TV. What, what's this noise going We We complain about it. But then if somebody tried to bag Australia, we'll stand up and fight Yeah, right. till the end. So we're we're very patriotic for our country, but we also uh, <laughs> take the piss out of our national anthem, our politicians. Um, so you're lazily patriotic. Yes, which, cool, uh, which, which is fun. Everyone just, um, you know, the weather over here is so good, so everyone's just more doing things outdoors and and enjoying themselves. Well, I, I think you can't take yourself too seriously because, from what I've seen, you have every creature on the planet that will kill you. I <laughs> just had uh, a friend, you met Dave Freeze at, um, the- I don't know if I met him, but I've been listening to a lot about him lately because you guys are like. Um bosom buddies. Yeah, so he he's been over here uh for six days staying with me and and he was joking about that saying, You've got so many small things in this country that will kill you. Spiders, snakes, just scorpions. You you've got all these little crocodiles things. aren't small. Okay, and crocodiles. And I said, Yeah, but we could be walking through the bush and I'm not gonna have get gnawed on by a bear or a mountain <laughs> or a coyote. <laughs> I said, you have things that will eat you while you're still lying there alive. I said, at least where we are, if something bites you, you're going to die really fast. You
0: know, <laughs> it's. Okay. It's like perspective.
1: It's just crazy. It's crazy that you've got some wild animal running out of the bush and want to eat me. Um, whereas Australia, we don't, you don't worry about it. Just don't play with the spiders. Don't touch the snake.
0: That's generally a good idea. You know, I don't really touch snakes here either. I just, something about them. I guess it goes back in time. But if it's a snake, I I don't care to find out.
1: When I was in Arizona last year, and I was walking through Arizona desert, and I came across a rattlesnake and a bobcat having a fight. Mm. and That was so good. Snake would lose, probably. Dave was with me, and uh, Mm -hmm. so I saw the rattlesnake. So I went over to go and take a really good close-up photo of the rattlesnake. And Dave's got me by the back of the shorts trying to drag me away from it saying, no, they can actually, it can actually strike that distance. I went, okay. I went, Mm -hmm. there's a big cat behind this bush and (laughs) bobcat. And uh, and then all of a sudden they're having this fight. And I said, Dave, how how often do you see this? And he goes, only on National Geographic.
0: Yeah, that's rare. I'm from Arizona. I grew up there. Tucson. I never, Tucson, yeah. I never saw a bobcat.
1: I did my research. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah, I think I told you that in Pennsylvania. I don't remember in Tucson, Arizona.
0: But yeah, I I grew up there, and uh, it's very rare to see bobcats. Even more rare to see mountain lion. Mountain lions are are very shy.
1: Yeah, I don't want to see a mountain lion. That's one of those creatures that gnaw <laughs> on you while you're still. Oh, that won't You just rip your throat out. So they'd be pretty fast.
0: No, are they um depends. Uh, mountain lions or jaguars, they come up your back and they crush the back of your skull and rip it off.
1: Yeah. See, there you go. Somebody said to me, by the time you've spot a mountain <laughs> lion, you're already... You're dead.
0: <laughs> because they're that fast.
1: Yeah, because it's it's going to grab you. And what are you drinking there? This is called Raging Bitch. Right? It's an IPA. Oh, right. Okay. Oh, and look at me. I'm drinking water. Yes. Uh, what time is it there? Oh, it's 8.30 in the morning.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Uh, it's 6.36 uh, p.m.
1: That's right. Well, you deserve a be. I should pretend it was six thirty-six p.m. here, and there you go. Here as well, but eight thirty here. That would be irresponsible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should have. Absolutely, isn't it six thirty in the morning where you are right now? Yeah. Well, I've had a long night. Yeah. <laughs> nice and sorry.
0: Wow. Well, okay. So, getting back track on the story here. Yeah. Um, I'm going to skip everything in between because uh, obviously it fell apart. So now, what happened for you to rebuild? over the next five years
1: okay what happened is i um there was another little thing I, I don't know if i've ever mentioned i think i had mentioned it maybe on a no i don't think i have on a podcast was i got back to Cairns, or i think it was maybe just before i went down and saw my mum, and she kicked me in the guts was i sat down one night and i was just like went you know where we i stuffed up things are terrible so i went and bought a bottle of rum as you do make you feel better and I was like probably at my lowest point I've ever been. I grabbed a bottle of rum and I got a number 10 scalpel blade and a scalpel handle. And I said, when I finish this rum, I'm going to end it. It's all over. I've had wow. I've had enough of this. And I drank the bottle of rum. And then I woke up that morning lying <laughs> <laughs> on the kitchen floor. Um, and I wake up and I saw the scalpel, a massive headache. And uh, feeling really sick, and I saw the scalpel in my hand, and I went, "What the hell? Were you think you idiot? What? Why did that thought even cross your mind?" And I threw the thing away, right. and that was sort of like, I don't know, if, I, I don't know if that happened then, and then I went and saw mum, or I saw mum came back, and that's what was going through my head that I was just sure it was those two things together that all of a sudden I just went, "You're where you are by the decisions you've made." Just change the decisions you made and things should improve. So then, so I was divorced. We'd split up and all that. And I went, okay, if I, and I had a lot of friends saying, hey, you should come out with me. Hey, I've got this girl that you should meet. I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. So I sat down and I wrote a list that if I met somebody else, this is my criteria. It was like buying a car. Okay. Good suspension. Um, (laughs) There you go. Low miles. Um, Anyway. (laughs) So I wrote down this criteria. If if I could meet the perfect woman, this is all mm-hmm. the criteria. And it, and it wasn't, yeah, yeah, they had to look good too, but it just had to be the attitude towards money. What you know, I had to get on with their parents. Their the parents had to be, um, you know, good with money as well. So therefore, those habits have been passed over. So I just wrote this big mm-hmm. list of things, and then my wife now, when I met her, we're talking away, and I'm just going tick, tick, tick. tick. Mm-hmm. She's just ticking. All the boxes, and I think it was after the first night of talking to her. I, in my head, I went, I'm gonna marry this girl, she doesn't know yet. I have one question, and I'm not gonna bring it up on the first night because she's gonna think I'm creepy. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what's the question? Did she have a list? No, no. okay, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Thank god, she had a list. If she had a list, it, it would have been. Even she says now, she goes, Yeah, you know, I used to say, I don't know what you saw in me. I was divorced, bankrupt, two kids. Uh, just I was living in a, in a, like a six foot, oh, probably about eight foot by eight foot room at the back of my clinic with a mattress on the floor. Uh, hmm. I had a shower in the clinic, but had no hot water system. Um, it was there. Yeah, it was terrible. And she said, I saw potential. A reclamation project. Makes yeah. sense. And yeah, so so yeah, so that didn't happen. Yeah, I didn't meet her the following week. It was just over a period of time I met Christine. And as soon as her and I got together, um, and we got married, my my life just turned around. So hmm. from thirty, I got married at thirty-two. And the next five years we just we just put everything together. Christine and I worked, she came on my business and we worked together. So I actually oh, cool. somebody who worked in my business that I trusted one hundred percent, that I trusted more than I trusted myself with the money that we made. Uh right, right. Yeah, you know, I, I think sometimes as guys, it's we're just big kids and we keep wanting to spend money on toys and and doing things. Sure. And you know, I say if it wasn't for my wife, I probably would have been dead before I was forty because I just, <laughs> I just do dumb shit. Um yeah, it was being married to the right person really made the difference. And then we cool. we bought a house, and a goal was let's just pay this thing off. So two and a half years, we it took two and a half years, and we paid the house off. Wow! And we just, I just worked, okay. I worked my bum off, and then I went to a seminar. I went to a there was a weekend uh, workshop on, and it was a business one. And until then, I'd only ever really gone to podiatry uh, conferences. And Mm I know a few and far between too. So I went to this one uh, conference and he said a really good thing. He went, write down how much money you made last year. And I wrote that down. He said, now write down how much money you want to make this year. So I wrote that. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: He goes, okay, now everyone's got it. You're really happy with it. Yeah. Now I want you to put a zero on the end of it. And you heard the whole... down. Oh, you could hear everyone mumbling, complaining. So if you'd written down you made... Yeah, hundred thousand last year, and this year want to make one hundred fifty thousand. He wanted you to make one half million. Wow! And and he's got and all of a sudden he went, "Why is everyone bitching and complaining? What you, you don't think it's possible? You don't think it's?" He said, "Does your thinking and your actions need to change to go from say one hundred fifty thousand a year to one half million dollars a year?" And everyone's going, "Well, well, yeah." yeah. And he goes, "Okay." Let let me grab your kids, your wife, your family, your parents, everyone you care about. I'm going to put them all in a room. And pretend there's a guy there with a machine gun. And if you do not make $1.5 million next year, we will kill everybody you've ever cared about. Would you change your thinking? Would you be prepared to change your actions to actually make $1.5 million? And wow, that's crazy. I, I just read something, actually. I yeah. just finished
0: a book, and it's called Just Listen. Yeah, and one of the questions in the book is what is something that is impossible, and when you get an answer, the second question is, what would have to happen to make that possible?
1: Yeah, so
0: that's literally it.
1: Yeah, and I I walked out of that and I went because when I because he, he he made you write down things you would do to make that to make your goal a reality. He said, "Okay, right." Then he's taken it to this massive extreme. He said, "Feel the emotion. Think about it. What other ideas can you come up with to make <laughs> to make ten times more?" And all of a sudden, you went, "Oh, well, yeah, I'd have to do this." And so we were writing down all these things, and like, and he said, "Look, it's not as though you're going to make ten times more." He said, "You may not, but you've now opened your mind up to the possibility of what, can right. when you really start opening your mind to possibilities." So. I walked out of there and my business doubled with wow. three months. Just went from being it went from going being good to great in a three month period and and it went from having one clinic to basically having five clinics and it in three months? No, oh, not in three months, no. Okay. <laughs> I doubled the turnover. <laughs> so I doubled the turnover in my business. Um in three months and then we moved to another location and it just kept growing and the business was then booming and I went wow is my business great because I'm a good podiatrist and I'm a, you know, a good business or is it because I've set up a good business and I've set up systems that work without me so I decided to set up a second business um, 800 kilometers away which is about 600 miles in, a, mm, in another okay. town and I and I chose that because I thought if it fails nobody in where I live in Cairns will know about it. It'll be be like, I'll go, oh, won't do that again. Um, Okay. But it was also far enough that it had no influence from where I live now. So like I could set up a clinic a hundred, you know, like miles away, but people in that town may have known who we were or had seen some advertising or marketing, but it was far enough away that it was completely independent. And what I did in 12 months in this new clinic took me eight years to do in my old clinic. Wow. And I went,
0: so you tested your systems.
1: Yeah. And I went, wow, these systems work. So then we went from there and we set up another one. And then I uh, delved into franchising a little bit. So we set up a couple uh, of podiatry businesses via franchising and all those clinics as well. Just went boom, just took off. So I went, whoa, I'm onto something here. And, and then my thinking changed. <laughs> Funny enough, what had happened is things were going really good, and then I started realizing that as these clinics were opening up, and especially the franchised ones, the power of a franchise is everybody's doing the same thing. So you go buy a McDonald's mm. burger in one place, you go to another place, it's the same burger. But what I was consistency, is, sure, yeah, consistency. That I'd have a podiatrist in different areas, but they had different skill sets or different interests. Mm. And I am telling okay. you, you can't do that because we're not all doing it. So I felt like I was limiting their, their creativity. Oh, okay. And all of a sudden I went, you know what? I don't think healthcare should be franchised. Even though I was making hmm. money from it, <laughs> I, it, <laughs> it was, um, I was feeling it was going up against my values and beliefs that all of a sudden okay. I'm, thinking, I'm making money, but I don't believe in what I'm doing. is the right thing for the industry or for the patient. And so then I was I was in uh, Townsville, which is about you know say two hundred fifty miles away, and my daughter was six at the time, and she rang up. I was talking on the phone. She goes, "Daddy, why are you away all the time?" I like, "Good question. Why am I away all the time? Because I'm supposed to be doing all this so I can make money and spend time with my family." So right. all of a sudden, I had two things going against me now. One, I I was away where I wanted to be with my family, and the second thing was I was building something. That I didn't believe should be done, so I um I cancelled the franchise agreements and said, it's "Your business, you can do what you want with it. I don't. You don't need to pay me anymore. You run it the way that you want." And wow. the other clinics I sold, and then I brought everything back into just having one mega clinic in in Cairns.
0: <laughs> your daughter's uh,
1: question made me think
0: of a, a joke. Um, An entrepreneur is one who works 20 hours a day to not work nine to five.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's true. You've heard that joke about the, you know, the fisherman in some small village and he, um, all he does is fish all day, just loves it. And this entrepreneur walks past and said, do you realize that with what you're doing here, you could, you could have a second boat. And uh, if you set up a second boat, you can employ people and you could make twice as much fish and then you could make, Three times the amount, and then five times the amount, and and all of a sudden you could be you could be worth just millions and millions of dollars. He said, "Yeah, if you were worth millions and millions of dollars, what would you do with your day?" And he went, "Yeah, I'd fish all day."
0: <laughs>
1: so, well, there you go. He was already living the dream, and I think sometimes, and that's what how I felt I was. I had a I had a good clinic. that was making great money. That was giving me a really good lifestyle, and I went out to do these other things, which, yeah, I did make more money. but it, And it's probably one of those things, you know, if you kept pushing and you had 10, 15, 20, and then you had other people employed that you'd be making even more money and maybe you could get your time back. But I think yeah, kids grow so fast that you've sure. only got a limited amount of time that you can, yeah, what spend time with them. So I think there's got to be this balance between what's enough and and what's too much. That, that was just me. But yeah, and I think it all comes down to your own beliefs and values. What, what's important.
0: That makes sense. Um, you
1: have a family band too, don't you? A family band. <laughs> yeah. We haven't played together for a while. No, I, I play the guitar and uh, attempt to sing. And uh, my daughter plays the piano and my wife plays the drums. So nice. We have, <laughs> we have had a couple of jam sessions and we do have video proof that uh, we did have a couple of jam sessions. Um, which was a hell of a lot of fun. But what it was is we also had a teacher who was my guitar teacher, was also my daughter's uh, piano teacher and my wife's drum teacher. So it was really good that he would come over. We'd have like a three-hour music session. Cool. Yeah, lessons together or it's separately, and then we'd all come together for about 15 minutes at the end and just um practice what we'd learned. And then he moved town. He he left over a year ago, and we haven't. I still play the guitar a bit, but my, my wife hardly touches the drums, and my daughter's hardly touched the piano since he's gone. So, I miss it. Well, cool. So now, since you gave up
0: um, the business or sold the business, because I don't know, you might get an itch and open another one.
1: Yeah, we think. Are you about it? <laughs> <laughs> You're probably missing the money. Um, it's not the money. Are you? I miss the challenge. I miss. I miss okay. The day-to-day uh, challenge of opening a business and people coming to you and going, "Oh, we've got this issue. How can we do this?" and and coming up with a solution. That that's the part that I miss. And since I sold my business, you know, another podiatrist moved into town and he's doing really, really well. And I'm, mm-hmm. oh, I'd love to take you on again.
0: well you're coaching now though so yes are you not some of that by selling your systems and and doing it vicariously through others um
1: yeah like it's great Uh, it's it's a lot of fun uh sharing what you've learned and giving it back to people that you know they're going through the same struggles you did 10 15 20 years ago you know Mm -hmm. and i keep telling them i go no matter how good you think you are now five years time you're going to be better yeah, sure. And no matter how good you think you're going to be in the future, five years after that, you're going to be better again because it's just this constant. And it's not just about being a better podiatrist, it's about being a better business owner, better husband, better father, better podcaster. You know, it's doing the reps. It's just this, yeah, it's doing the reps. It's you, you do the reps, but not just going through the motions, it's going through the motions with intent. Sure. And if you go, have you heard of that with intent? you're going to end up always always improving. Have you ever heard of Anders Ericsson?
0: No. Okay, um, you probably heard of Malcolm Gladwell. Yes. Well, Malcolm Gladwell is famous for the, quote, 10,000-hour rule. Oh, okay. But the 10,000-hour rule actually came from Anders Ericsson, and Malcolm Gladwell got it wrong. Um, Anders Ericsson stated that it could be 10,000, it could be 5,000, but what it is is years and hours of deliberate practice. Yeah. And that's the part that Malcolm Gladwell forgot about. And that fits into what you're saying. So it's not just that you're doing an activity like playing the guitar, noodling, da, 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 da. you're playing outside that comfort zone, trying to get that note just right. And it, and you do it over and over and over and it's just outside the comfort zone. That's deliberate practice.
1: Yeah. And that's what I think it is. It's not just, oh, wow, I've been practicing podiatry for 10,000 hours or I've been reading business mm-hmm. books for 10,000 hours. It's it's right. it's doing it with the intention of wanting to get better. And therefore, exactly. it um, makes you decide on, like if you're reading books, if you're wanting to get better, that will make your decision on what book you read different to if you're, I'm just going through the motions of reading a book. Oh, here's another book I can sure. Read. Whereas somebody goes, no, you need to read this book because this is awesome in this particular area. so Right, or it
0: disagrees with you. It, it's something that's completely against what you believe, and you have to um, challenge and temper your own beliefs because there are different philosophies out there. And maybe maybe you'll shift. Maybe you'll say, oh, wait a minute. I never quite thought of it that
1: way. Well, this like, I think you have that with E-Myth. What's that? I think you had that with E-Myth or something like that. Oh, the E-Myth. I hated the E-Myth. I mean, the first time I read it, I just, I just wanted to wipe my bum with it. It was the worst book I'd ever read, and then I read it five years later, and it was the best book I'd ever read at that time. <laughs> it just my thinking and my mind being open to. So when I read it the first time, you know, his example is a bloody pie shop, and when I read it the first time, I go, I've got a podiatry clinic. I don't have a pie shop. What's all this rubbish? Ah. Uh-huh. So because I was so stuck in my head that. I have to be reading stuff that's going to apply to my podiatry clinic. Five years later, when all of a sudden I I knew more about systems and learning outside of the industry, then when I read the book, I went, I can't believe it's the same book. Somebody changed the pages on the inside. It was was so different that it became one of my favorite books. And I read it multiple, multiple times. That actually brings me to a question I had for you. Um, One of your guests, um, I think it
0: might have been your most recent one, I'm terrible with names. Um I was doing a crash course. Yeah. But he one of his complaints was um false gurus. Oh yes. Dr. James. The idea right. The idea of you have somebody teaching you who hasn't actually done this before. Yeah. Now ironically, your next guest I actually had interviewed, um, Elsie Rand. Yes. I'm uh, sorry, SD Rand. SD. Yeah. S yeah. D Rand. Well, one of her pet peeves is the philosophy of if you haven't done this, then you can't teach me. <laughs> so it's actually directly contrary to that. And I'm wondering how you feel about both. And I bring this up because a good example is um, I I sometimes lean on sports. Yeah. But uh, a gentleman I just interviewed, the show that came out most recently, Mario Perazzo, Marco Perazzo. Sorry, I'm terrible with
1: names. Today. At the MMA.
0: It, correct. Yeah, he um he's a coach and he's a, a third degree a Brazilian jiu jitsu black belt. But he is coaching Tim Williams, and Tim Williams could lay him across the mat three ways from Sunday. So a lot of people are saying, "Well, how can you be the coach?" Well, the fact is, he's not fighting; he's coaching. So he can see different angles by looking at the outside. Now, in a lot of athletics, not every football player becomes a great NFL coach.
1: Oh no, no, I, I see where you're going with this question. So and and with Dr. James Fedick talking in one way and S D talking the other way, I, I can see it from both sides. And I think what James was talking about was in uh, how can you put it? In the podi- say in podiatry or chiropractic industry sure. he was in, you'll get somebody who has had a business for five years and they decide to get out and after five years, they're now trying to teach everyone how to have a better, say, podiatry or chiropractic business. Being a podiatrist and him being a chiropractor, we know what 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 our skill level is out like after five years, as a as a podiatrist and as a business owner, we know what it was sure. like ten years. We know what it was like fifteen years and twenty years. And you look right. back and you go, "My God, I knew nothing after five years," because <laughs> it's just being in there, but. I can also see someone who, you know, some of the best football coaches in Australia never played for Australia, never played for Queensland. In fact, some of right. played one or two, you know, professional A grade games. But they are brilliant tacticians and coaches. So they've exactly they've learnt this. They've they've honed this skill in different ways.
0: so, Again, I, so I They've learned. I don't the think
1: game. you need to be yeah. an awesome sports coach to. um to coach somebody in a particular team. Like I'd love to be a football coach and I can see things on a field and I reckon I could coach people a certain way. And yeah, and I may have played yeah half a dozen A grade games myself, but I think I could be a better, I I could help people become a better football player, maybe to higher levels than I ever got myself. But I still think you need to have an understanding of the game. Sure. So SD in that case, she is a business coach. Yes.
0: And she works with, of various businesses of all kind so she's kind of like that athlete, athletic coach who hasn't necessarily built her own business even though her business is being a business coach it's kind of a weird yeah but, but i
1: think she scenario. You, you she still has the like i don't think somebody could uh leave university with a business degree have never ever had a business or worked in a business and say i'm going to be a business coach
0: Oh, I can see that.
1: Sure. Yeah, they could read a book on business coaching and they could go through the theory. And I think over time right. they will get better. But I'd hate to be the first couple of clients. That they, all the. <laughs> that's why I say to people, that's why you outgrow business coaches is mm-hmm. because you could get somebody who maybe has five years experience and you'll use them for a particular point in time. But eventually they can only give you whatever their experience is up until that point. And then eventually you'll get, you know what? I'm now bored here. I feel bad. I've outgrown them. And it's because you have them. Unless they're constantly improving and changing themselves, they're not going to get any better.
0: Right. No, that makes sense. And you may outgrow even experienced coaches too. I mean, it it
1: might be good to change up perspective every few years, no matter what. Yeah. At the moment I have a, um, like a mindset coach and, Mm -hmm. and I've had the same mindset coach for a couple of years. And, I don't think I'll ever outgrow her because she just keeps my head screwed on. Cool. It it's just she just makes me think about things that I don't think about. And even when she tells me something, I go, oh, yes, that's right. You have told me this before about 14 times. So, <laughs> so I think everybody needs different coaches at different times, business coaches, whether it's in your sure. career or outside of it. Like, I do believe in <clears throat> having industry specific coaches. So Mm. like so I do a lot of coaching for dentists. Now I'm not a dentist, I'm down at the other end of the body. But But you're a physician, you're selling a service, but there's product involved. I I could see there are a lot of parallels. Yeah, but podiatry is we're still in the health industry. I know what it's like to deal with a patient. I know the I know what it's like with health funds, registration boards. Insurance. Setting up the businesses. Yeah, insurance. It's it's the same thing with just looking at a different part of the body.
0: Right, right. Now,
1: could that dentist get advice from Esty? Bloody eighth they could because if she, she's not teaching to be a better dentist. She's teaching to be a better business person. So it's right. me. I'm not teaching to be a better dentist. I'm teaching to be a better business person. But if I'm then talking to a podiatrist and they want a podiatry-specific question answered, I'm the only one that can do it if it's true yeah they could ask esky they could ask a dentist they could give them all this business advice which would all be great but if they go i've got this question about you yeah, know when you're making an insert and putting it in the shoe because those sort of questions always come up so even though the dentist that i do coaching really? with i work with another dentist so if a really specific dental question came up we go oh hmm. let's ask uh, dr jesse green we'll get jesse on the call and we'll get that sorted out but of the stuff we talk about is always going to be business.
0: Okay. That's very cool. Now, um, I guess we're going to open it up with one thing. I'm going to wrap it up, but what is something you would recommend for any small business
1: starting out? What would be the one
0: consideration?
1: Uh, Listen to as many podcasts as you can. with with whatever spare time you've got just really constantly i've learned so much from podcasting not just having my own podcast and being a guest on podcasts but i think there's three parts to podcasting there's creating it there's consuming it and there's being a guest and and if someone doesn't want to create their own podcast great consume as much as you can and, and and mix it up don't just listen to the same to the things that adjust in your industry. Um, you know, I li- remember listening to uh, Glam Nation and it's a women's pod, it's a women's glamour podcast. <laughs> oh, cool. And I listened well, to a couple. We're learning something every day. <laughs> but what it was, was somebody just said, you yeah, know, try listening to things that are outside of what you'd normally listen to. and Sure. A, diff- a different um, aspect of, or, or a viewpoint on something. But that's what I think is, you know, most business people just, if you've got spare time, listen to podcasts while you're driving around. You don't always have to be listening to the radio.
0: Well, that's cool. And you are actually putting that in practice because one of the things I plugged before is your 365 hour challenge. Yeah. And during that, you have to listen to 365 podcasts at a minimum in the year. That's right. So that's a good, good way to mix it up because even though I know you really want to do all 55 unstructured episodes in a row... <laughs> that would probably be bad for your, um for your show. So you actually have to mix another show. So to- I, I understand that I'll be every fifth yeah. or something. No, no, like
1: <laughs> what I tend to do. I tend to binge. So it would have been when I actually did the re- the review on your show. I may have listened to the, ep- an episode earlier and then listened to that one. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll go to a podcast. I might listen to three shows and I'll pick the one that I liked. And then that's the one I do the review on. So, it's um yeah. When you're mixing it up, you, you, it's hard, to, but I do have favorite. Yeah. You, know, you just have favorite shows that you oh, sure you're, you are a great host. You, you've got a, oh, you've got a damn sexy voice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I'm going to cut that clip. <laughs> uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you actually added a little bit of you know, a bit of, you've hit the little Barry white button. Uh, mm. <laughs> Oh <laughs> baby. And, uh, but yeah, you, you are a good host. But the podcast I've listened to you do so far wasn't just that. Is when we were at Podcast Movement, and I was listening to you talking to people. That hmm. you interview your interview style is very similar to when you're actually talking to people. You can see that you're genuinely interested in the other person. It's not just going for yeah. emotions. You generally want to know. Yeah. You, you've, you've obviously done your research. <laughs> I try to. I
0: try to. So now where can people find
1: you, Tyson? If people want to uh, check me out, they can go to my website, uh TysonFranklin.com. Uh on Facebook, Tyson E. Franklin. LinkedIn is Tyson E. Franklin as well, and Instagram and Twitter is Tyson Franklin sixty six. But okay, things, and- my website and that's that's where I, I throw all my stuff. He
0: also has a book, folks,
1: so check him out on Amazon. Yes, you can look at it. you got to plug your book. Uh, it's no secret and there's Man. money in small business. And if you're a
0: And, of course, there's podcast.
1: Yeah, and if you're a podiatrist, there's It's No Secret There's Money in Podiatry.
0: Which is the same book, essentially. Well, Just uh, You tweaked it for the small business. I wrote
1: part. the podiatry one first, and mm-hmm. and then I went back and I rewrote it for small business people. So the second book is a better, better version of the first book. It's got another okay. two and a bit years of experience into it. The beginnings different, a few extra chapters. Um, so the second book is a better version than the first one. But if I was a podiatrist, I'd read the first one because it's podiatry specific.
0: Fair enough. Fair and in uh, my podcast, it's oh. no
1: secret with Doctor T.
0: And it is available everywhere. It comes right up in iTunes. It does. Just, it's no secret. It'll auto prompt you. Yeah. <laughs> it's a fun show. I've I I do research on shows, and I've probably listened to about eight or nine of them. So. That's more than a standard that I might have to do research.
1: So thanks a lot for coming on. No, no, this has been great. I've enjoyed talking, and you are going to be on my show very soon as well. Yes, in moments.
2: Hi, this is Cara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said.
0: I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in LA and you're
2: an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I gotta talk to somebody. It's really famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. Mr. Hayes' office, how may I help you? Andrea, it's Marilyn over at Kennedy Parker Construction. Hello, Marilyn. Would you like me to connect Mr. Parker to Mr. Hayes? A fish
0: surrounded by sharks. A secretary cursed by desire and ambition. Introducing the diarist by Donna Barrow Green. The diarist, an addictive psychological thriller, satirical, suspenseful, and full of twists.
2: Available on iTunes or anywhere you get your podcasts. Yes. I'm sorry if I've hurt your feelings. Or if something I've said has led you to believe I think you're incompetent. It's just been so long since you've given me any encouragements or compliments on my... Andrea. I do notice you. I like that blouse on you. Very much. You look very pretty, just as you are right now. Oh. Well, I... It's very pretty on you. Thank you. What sort of fabric is it? It's silk. It's lovely. You have excellent taste in clothes. I notice. Would you mind removing your cardigan? My sweater? Yes, so I can see the blouse in its entirety. Why... I like it very much. You see, I do notice you. You know that, don't you? I don't have to tell you I notice these things. You know when I like something, don't you? I don't know. I repeated his words in my mind. I notice you. That was it, wasn't it? I wanted someone to notice me. Not Andrea the daughter, the wife, the secretary, not even Andrea the artist or ad girl. I wanted someone, anyone, to see me. More than anything, it was Richard. Please don't think unkind of me, dear reader.